As a generation, we're so obsessed with aesthetics and how we look and what we weigh and what dress size we are. I find it a really sad state of affairs that we're so quick to comment on someone's appearance when actually, surely what matters more is whether they're nice or not. I don't meet somebody and afterwards think about what they look like. I think about how they made me feel. Did I enjoy spending time with them? Welcome to Priorities, the podcast about the things in life that really matter. I'm your host, journalist and coach, Lily Silverton, and each week I'll be asking a new interviewee to open up about the things that are important and unimportant to them. What takes first place in their life, what they couldn't care less about, and what they'd like to work on a little bit more. Will you agree with their priorities? Will they make you reevaluate your own? Let's find out. My guest today is award-winning Pilates instructor and personal trainer, Holly Grant. Holly is the founder and owner of Pilates PT, author of The Model Method, and host of the Strong Women podcast. Over her 10 plus years in the fitness industry, Holly has created a business whose sole mission is to inspire women to enjoy exercise for the positive benefits it affords rather than for weight loss. She's a huge advocate of this message And this is reflected perfectly in the Pilates PT method, her unique, and I can say firsthand, pleasantly brutal training plan, which combines Pilates with high intensity interval training. Holly owns two luxury London studios, one in Fulham and one within the Mandarin Oriental Hotel. And at the time of recording, in the midst of the COVID-19 breakout, both studios have been closed. Holly and her all-female team of instructors have taken their classes online instead. Holly's exceptional knowledge, dedication, and down-to-earth approach have led her to become one of the leading voices in fitness in the UK. Welcome, Holly. Hi, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Oh, it's such an honor to have you here. How are you feeling right now? If if you had to give a scale of one to 10, where are you at? Oh, what's, what's 10? Is that great? 10 is great. So right now, yeah, I'm feeling like, um, I'd say I'm feeling about an eight or a nine right this second. My husband has taken the dog and my daughter Freya out for a dog walk. So it's like that perfect time of the day where there's no sound. I can go to the toilet without having someone try and follow me. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it, I feel really good. Thank you. When I had my, um, my daughter, our, our, our girls are about the same age, aren't they? When I had my daughter, I never realized the luxury of showering on your own. Yeah, I know. The thing is, when you're pregnant, everybody says to you, make sure you do all the things that you've always wanted to do. Go to the cinema. They kept saying to me, you'll never get to go to the cinema again. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, you guys are being so melodramatic. Like, how hard can it be? And now my best friend is 12 days away from her due date. And I just I just sort of picture her life right now in lockdown without children, thinking all of the Netflixes she could watch, all of the books that she could watch. I just keep saying to her, just enjoy it because you will never, ever have this much free time ever again. So just just make the most of it while you can. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, speaking of free time, the first (laughs) priority that you gave me was work free time. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yep. So for about the last um, nine to 10 years, I've worked in the fitness industry in lots of different roles. Um, so from all the way from starting as a receptionist in, in a Pilates studio to manager, 
to um, instructor, to head trainer, to studio owner. And for the last five years, I've had my own studios. And my husband joined the business around he'll be able to tell you exactly how long, but I think about three years ago, we we sadly lost his mum pretty much overnight and we moved out to Oxfordshire and Stu didn't know what he wanted to do from a work um, perspective out here. And I just said, look, I'm struggling with the business. There's too much to do. Why don't you join me? So the business has been a huge, huge part of our life for a long time now. And we both work from home as well as commuting into London for the business. And so it can, it can kind of take over your life and you've got to be really strict that on the weekends, we try not to talk about the business too much. You know, we, we could easily sit there all weekend and be like, Oh, you know what we should do? Or, Oh, did you remember to email that person back? And it just encroaches on your life so much. So I have to be really, really strict, um, that I have a distinction between, work life and home life, especially because working from home, your working day just doesn't really end. There isn't that feeling of coming through your front door and being like, oh, I'm home, work is over. So prior to the coronavirus pandemic, um, I was really strict that I would not work on the weekends. So if emails came through, unless they were super, super critical or time sensitive, I would not respond to them and people would have to wait till Monday and um, I would not work. I would not answer the business line, anything like that. And that worked really well for a long time. Um, Then with the coronavirus, obviously, we had to change our business kind of overnight. Our studios closed and now I'm teaching live classes and the busiest time for us is the weekend. So there's not really that distinction between home life and work life at the moment. And I'm really noticing that that does, that really changes the feeling of home for me at the moment. So it's definitely a real priority for me. And as soon as we're in a position to uh, get that kind of balance back, that's going to be one of the first things I do. But also I understand that we're really lucky that we're, you know, we are able to keep earning money during the coronavirus pandemic. Um, But I am, yeah, I'm really feeling the difference by not taking the weekends off. Mm. And are you guys in agreement over this, you and your husband? Yeah. So I think that, um, before the, before the coronavirus, uh, with the weekend stuff, you know, sometimes my husband would, um, sort of say to me like, you know, we're a small business or, you know, um, just fried fray. He'd be like, you know, you've got baby coming soon. And I don't know, maybe we need to pull a late night or maybe we will have to work on the weekend. And I was always really strict. And especially because I've done this for a lot longer than him. And I would say to him, like, as much as that's tempting, you have to be strict with yourself. You, you cannot work this evening, do it tomorrow. You know, at the end of the day, we're not surgeons. Like we run a fitness business. No one's going to die if we don't email them till tomorrow. And I think you just have to be really strict. And that's something he's had to learn from me. I think given the choice, he would work 24 hours a day. But I think we are both in agreement that at the moment, we kind of just need to make hay while the sun shines. We have no idea how long this is going to go on for. We have no idea how long the demand for our live classes will, will last, you know. So we just need to you know, we need to knuckle down and, and it's not forever. Hopefully this isn't a normal situation and uh, we both just have to do what we can right now. And I'm taking off days elsewhere, but they don't feel the same. You know, a Monday off is not the same as a Saturday off. Mm, Yeah, I agree completely. Well, I've done your live classes, your online live (laughs) classes, and they're brilliant. So I strongly recommend them to anyone. Have you felt more of a sense of urgency with work since the pandemic? In what respect? From other people needing us or? Yeah, other people needing you. And also that feeling of, I must respond to this. I must be available. I must 
reorganize my business very quickly in order to keep up and as you say starting to maybe encroach upon those things that you were quite strict about before in terms of free time or not working in the evenings it's definitely something I've experienced myself and I'm, I'm curious if you've had the same yeah, definitely. So um, what we noticed with the business, because we have two personal training studios in London, when the coronavirus was, was sort of growing and people were getting a bit nervous about being around people, but there was no lockdown and the government was still kind of being quite relaxed about it. You know, there was there weren't really any rules in place. Um, but we'd noticed that clients were, were starting to get nervous about turning up and we were sending out emails with all of our cleaning protocol and letting clients know, look, it's one-to-one and our instructors don't have it, um, you know, or they've not traveled to all these different countries. But we were noticing a bit of a drop. And so we were already getting a bit nervous. And then the night that Boris uh, closed closed the gyms was, a, was not a great night for us, understandably. And so that happened in the day. And that night I did a practice Zoom live class on my friends from NCT and some of my friends, my, my own like girlfriends. And um, we just had to make the decision. We did it. We tried it that night. It worked. And literally the next day we launched our live classes. And, you know, normally we wouldn't, normally if we were launching a new service or a, or a new product, we would do market research and we'd maybe, you know, we're not great with this, but maybe we would start to create a business plan around it and, you know, look at what else is out there. But you just can't do that with this. It was such a quick decision to close the gyms. Um, Everything's changing from day to day. We don't know how long this is going to go on for. So you just have to adapt really quickly. So yeah, I've definitely felt the need to just do stuff. Um, You know, just give it a go and make decisions quickly, adapt with the times. But yes, it's definitely meant a much bigger amount of work, but this is not an everyday thing. And, uh, you know, we, we've got a mortgage to pay and we've got instructors and we have retail spaces. One of them of which is still charging us rent during this period, even though we're not allowed in the building. So mm. it's, um, you know, it's, it's just, is what it is. Everyone's got their own stuff going on, haven't they? Yeah, of course they do. One of the things that you did from the beginning that I thought was, um, very clever and very important is you charged for your classes from the beginning because obviously mm-hmm. a lot of people suddenly put all their stuff for free out there and you know we're two and a half almost two and a half months in now mm. and potentially they're in a little bit of a sticky situation now because if you start giving things for free it's a little bit hard to move into a paid model yeah and you know it was I'd like to say it was a tough decision, but I don't think it was. I think it was actually just a complete non-negotiable. Like I knew that that's what I was going to have to do. And, um, you know, I've, I've spent, I'd, at the risk of sounding arrogant, I've spent a lot of money on my, on numerous qualifications over the years. So I've actually got qualifications in lots of different areas. And um, I go on so many workshops and, you know, I've tried almost every single person's Pilates class and um, been to all the studios in London. And, you know, that's, that's cost a lot of money, but it's also taken a lot of my time. And I, I've put so much effort in over the years. So if you train with me in London at one of the studios, you pay a premium for that. You know, we, we are quite an expensive studio, but for a good reason. And so I just felt that that wasn't very fair on my clients um, who've been paying to see me in person for years if I put my stuff out for free, but also not very fair to me. Like it's, a, and it's you know, it's, it's my time that's being used. And I also knew deep down that given that I have a one-year-old um, and I still have a lot of other work, even while the studios are closed, you know, there's a lot of admin that goes beh- on behind closed doors. And um, I knew that if I gave it away for free, 
I probably wouldn't be able to put as much time and effort into programming those classes. And I might start to resent them, especially the ones on the weekends when it's eating into my family time. And also, you know, I felt like people would understand that, you know, you wouldn't go to Sainsbury's and take a loaf of bread and expect not to pay for it um, just because there's a global pandemic going on. You know, you would pay for everything else. So why shouldn't people pay for my knowledge and my years and years of training and experience? And so I put that on social media and I just said, you know, I've decided to charge um, and I hope that you guys understand. And the feedback was really, really positive obviously no one was going to go on there and be like, oh no, we think you're awful for charging. Like everyone was really positive, (laughs) but you know, a lot of the comments were like, of course we should have to pay for you. We'd have to pay for you. If we saw you in person, it's an hour of your time. And the classes have, have grown week on week. So, and we're seeing a lot of repeat customers. So I know that it's not, it's not going to be available to everyone. And there might be people who can't afford it right now. We've made it free for NHS workers as a thank you for the amazing work that they've done. And, you know, we are doing collaborations with big companies like Women's Health and um, we are doing free content for people like Sweaty Betty. And so there are ways of training with us and we've got videos on our YouTube channel. But I think that um, the people that can afford to do our classes have felt that it's worth the £10 that we're charging. Tell me, what makes Pilates so special to you? Oh, well, I think for me, mm, to explain that, I kind of have to go back in time a little bit and I'll, I'll try and summarize real quick. So um, growing up, I my dad was uh, in the parachute regiment. So they are um, like a super, super fit uh, part of the military. Uh, they jump out of planes. They're often kind of one of the first people at the scene. Um, and so I grew up with him being super fit and he's in his 60s now and he's still a strongman competitor. He's still super active. Um, so exercise has always been a big part of his life, but he was never necessarily doing it to lose weight. He was doing it because he didn't want to get killed or he wanted to be the best at work. Uh, so I grew up with that. And then I went to military boarding school as well, which was all about like being strong, being fit, being the best. And then I went to university and I realized that actually a lot of the women around me, they'd not had the same experience of exercise as I had. And actually they were using exercise to abuse their bodies, to lose weight because they were getting, they were going on holiday or they'd put on weight at the start of university. And I found that really quite sad. And, um, I also found it without sounding horrible. I actually found it a bit boring hearing from people like, Oh, I'm do I'm going to go start spinning because I'm, um, you know, my friend down the pub told me that she lost loads of weight spinning and I just found it really dull. And I just felt really sorry for people who didn't necessarily enjoy exercise, but they did it because they felt like they had to. So then, um, I became, a, I went on to be a pastry chef, which is what I'd always wanted to do. And it was hell. It was horrible. And after about a year, I had really bad depression and I one day literally just didn't turn up for work, never went in again. And that kind of ended ended that career for me, but that was okay because I hated it so much at the time. And then uh, a friend of mine said, look, I know someone who, uh, my boss basically owns a Pilates studio as well and she needs a receptionist. Why don't you just go work there while you get your head straight and decide what you want to do, whether you still want to be a chef or not. And I went there and I started as a receptionist and I instantly fell in love with Pilates. It was reformer Pilates, it was groups and I loved it straight away because it was not about weight loss and it was not about how your body looked. It was all about trying to make your body as strong and as flexible um, and as dynamic as possible. And I just 
I just absolutely, it just really resonated with me and I wanted to be really good at it. And I loved how it made my body feel. And I really liked the other types, the other people that were doing Pilates as well, because they were the same, you know, they weren't necessarily talking about weight loss. They were talking about, oh, I really wish I could do Pike. You know, I really struggle with it. So I just fell in love with what it does for you and what it kind of promises um, compared to a lot of the other fitness regimes that are available. So yeah, I, I just, I, I, I like that we're trying to make people feel amazing, not necessarily look amazing. That might be a byproduct. You know, they might find that actually they feel sexier or they feel more comfortable in their clothes, but that's not what we're focusing on. And hopefully it changes women's perception of what exercise is for and makes it a much more positive experience. Mm. And that's your entire mission, right? With Pilates PT. Yeah. Everything we do, everything we get asked to do, if it doesn't, if it doesn't promote that message, if it isn't going to help women see that exercise is about so much more than the way that they look, I'm not doing it. I just, I I just, I disagree with it so much. And I just think it's a really ugly trait to to play into women's insecurities to earn more money. Like we don't even talk about, we don't talk about weight loss on our website. You know, we don't, we don't promote any of those. We talk about how it's going to make you feel and we, we don't overpromise. And I just, I just want women to really enjoy exercise because it's been a massive part of my life. And if I hadn't had it, you know, certain experience or certain times in my life would have been much, much harder. And I know that Pilates and, you know, after having depression was really, really helpful. And after having Freya, you know, I had a horrible labor and exercise has been the thing that sort of tied me and brought me back. So I just want everyone else to experience that. And I think it's a real shame um, if women miss out on that. Mm, I agree with you completely. You know that I teach yoga and I have a very similar approach, which is you know, anyone can do this and it doesn't really matter what it looks like for yoga now and for Pilates as well. I think there's a very certain image of what that looks like. And it's normally a very slim white woman doing a quite complicated position whereby in reality, it's so much about the functional strength or flexibility that you might create and also everything else that happens away from the Pilates class or the yoga class outside that. Once you realize you're strong and flexible on a mat, you somehow that seeps into the rest of your life. That's a lovely way of thinking about it. Yeah, it's so true. And I think I think yoga definitely, um, probably more so than Pilates, just because Pilates doesn't really get much screen time, but I think yoga is seen as like the sexy one. Um, so but <laughs> I think they both do have that image. And I remember the funny thing, uh, another thing I like about Pilates is that you can shock people because when I first met my husband and I told him what I did, um, he was playing Uh, rugby at the time and he was like a real gym bunny and he was so like he was massive and um really strong and I remember saying to him you should come to one of my classes and he was like yeah yeah we'll do and he thought it was going to be really really easy and he turned up and he was on a reformer machine next to this lady who'd been coming to my classes for ages and she um was probably I'd say early 70s and she is one of the strongest women that I know. And he was on the reformer next to her and he was sweating so much, shaking. There was so much noise and grunting coming out of him. And this woman was just like, you know, just 
easily, you know, getting through the class, nailing every move. And afterwards, he was just like, that woman was amazing. And, and I just felt like that summed it up perfectly. With Pilates, you know, people think it's going to be easy. And actually, you can have, you know, I have had rugby players on the reformer and, and you can find their weak points and you can work them. And I just don't think that people realize that's what Pilates is about. And you can be 70, you can be 80, you can be any shape, any age, you know, any ability and Pilates is for you. So there is no one type of Pilates body, just like there's no one type of yoga body. Yeah, completely. Um, my, when I first took my partner to Pilates to reform a part Pilates, he had exactly the same experience <laughs> and he's a very, very fit, strong man. And he was, uh, yeah, sweating like mad. Couldn't quite believe what was going on around him. It's just oh, all the tiny, tiny muscles that get used that you don't think about and all this functionality. Yeah. That's it. And it's so easy to, um, I think the, the thing I like about it as well, I feel like I'm listening loads of things and I keep saying it's the best thing about it, but there are so many things, but, um, with Pilates, you could so easily just muscle through the exercise. So let's say you start the workout and you start thinking about what you're going to do on the weekend or what you're going to have for dinner. You could really easily muscle through and use all your dominant strong muscles, um, and not feel anything by the end. And often when someone says to me like, oh, I, I'm not really feeling it. I know that it's not because they're strong. It's that they're not doing it right. Whereas if once you really get Pilates and you focus and you concentrate on what you're doing and you learn more about anatomy in your body, you really do feel it. And so people come in, you know, from work really frazzled or really stressed or the kids are driving them mad. And after about five, 10 minutes, you know, they're, they're completely in the room because you, you do have to concentrate and you do have to think about what you're doing. It's not mindless. It's, mindful um and uh yeah and and then you really do feel it no matter who you are no matter how strong you are mm. well that's one big love of your life and we'll move on to your <laughs> second priority which is another very big love of your life which is quality time with your daughter yeah yeah Freya so she's just turned one she turned, yeah, she turned one two weeks ago during lockdown. Um, so we had a Zoom birthday party for her, which was interesting. Um, and it was basically just everyone watching her open, well, throw paper around and, and bash boxes around. So yeah, I mean, I've always worked with women. Most of my clients are female and lots of them are postnatal, lots of them are prenatal as well. And so I tend to sort of hear first of all, all their birth stories, which was interesting when it came to, you know, me getting close to that day. Um, but also, you know, I heard so many times and from so many of them when I was pregnant, they really grow up quickly. Like say that every day, the days are long, but the years are short, you know, make the most of them. You'll never get this time back. And I just felt like that really stuck in my head. And so I made the decision when I was about eight months pregnant um, that I would stop teaching in my studios and I would just work from, from home, obviously, mainly because I was struggling to stand up on a train from Oxford to London every day. Um, but I also decided that I wouldn't rush back after Freya was born. And, um, and that was quite a hard decision because clients would keep saying, you know, when are you thinking of coming back? Um, or, you know, oh, are you coming back after three months or what have you? And, and I, and I, I felt a lot of pressure and I, I felt really guilty as well, but actually once she was born, I felt like my priorities completely changed. And the studio for a long time was my baby, was my number one priority. And everything else had to kind of fit in around that. But then, yeah, I think I just got a bit of a shock at just how much having Freya changed me and how she was suddenly my number one priority. And it's really important to me that 
Um, I make sure that I, the time that I'm not working, when my husband's working, I am there for Freya 100%. I'm not trying to send sneaky emails whilst playing with her. I'm not on Instagram. I am there and I am focused on her. Um, because again, you know, when you've got your own business, it is really difficult to switch off and you see the emails coming through and, you know, you can hear your phone pinging in the background. And I've just had to be really mindful and really careful that, um, that doesn't encroach on my time with her because I know that she is growing up so quickly. I can't believe how quickly the last year has gone. And there will come a time where she goes to nursery or she goes to school and we'll never have this time where all three of us are at home all day, every day. Um, as much as I love the fact that she's gone out for a dog walk now, um, I know that this will, uh, yeah, I know that this will go so quickly and, um, Yes. It's just, it's really, really important to me. And I'm, I feel really, I feel really grateful that all of my clients have warned me about that because I'd hate to look back in a couple of years time and think, I cannot believe I wasted all that time with her, you know, commuting into London every single day. Um, and I know that a lot of women have to do that and I completely respect them for that, but I just don't think that I could do that, um, yet anyway. Mm. It's so nice to have this extra bit of time, as you say. Yeah. And I'm really lucky. I I know I'm really lucky. Um, but I've also, you know, I built the business up to get to this point where I wouldn't have to be the one there every single day. I've got an incredible team. My instructors are just amazing and they've worked so close with closely with me for so long that there's not much differentiation between me and them. They're basically just like mini versions of me as instructors. Um, and I feel really lucky that I'm able to trust them to, to look after my first baby. (laughs) Um, but that was always a conscious decision. I I always knew I didn't want to have to be in the studio you know, seven days a week, especially when, when we lost Stuart's mum and we moved out to Oxford that kind of changed the business overnight, actually, because I was working there five days a week, um, really long days. You know, I might train like nine or 10 people a day, five days a week. And then that wasn't an option for me. And that's when I really started to think, actually, you know what, I need to, to find some balance somewhere. So I feel very, very lucky, but it was definitely a conscious decision to get the business to that point. And I know that's not always available to everybody. Hmm. In what way has it changed your perspective of your of Pilates? Because, you know, you say you work with a lot of pre and postnatal women, and I assume that you have done throughout your career. How does it feel now having had that felt experience? Uh, what Now that I've been a pregnant woman doing Pilates. Mm, and had mean? your body change in that way. Yeah. I think, um, oh, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like you have to have had a baby to be able to teach prenatal at all, because there are so many incredible prenatal instructors out there who um, are yet to have babies, or maybe will never have babies, and, and that's fine. And they will. They. It's the knowledge that is the most important thing. But I think it does. It's. It's definitely helped me understand a bit more how things are going to feel, and also just how rough you feel. Um, because yeah, I felt you know I, the first four four to five months. Actually, I felt horrific. And so um, I wasn't able to enjoy exercise as much as I wanted to. And actually, I really, really missed it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's definitely given me a greater appreciation of Pilates because you can do it throughout pregnancy. I used it throughout pregnancy and I used it postnatally as well. But I think as well, it's just, it's, it's given me a greater understanding of what it feels like to be pregnant, how to talk to pregnant women as well, because there's a lot that you can do. I think, I think before I had a baby, I felt quite nervous, not nervous, but I felt, 
you tend to think about the things that pregnant women can't do uh, because that's what a lot of the training is. When you do your prenatal training, no matter who you train with, often it is, you know, don't lie them on their back. Don't do this. Don't work the rectus abdominis. Whereas actually um, there's an amazing course that I've done with Burrell Education where it's actually talking about the fact that pregnant women can do so, so much. And let's stop talking about what they can't do and think about what they can do. And actually, so while I was pregnant, it it was interesting to think, actually, why have I been saying, you know, don't do this um, for so long when actually now I'm pregnant, I realized that you can do this and you're not dying, you're pregnant. Um, So I think it's helped me realize that there's a lot you can do with pregnant women. And I think pregnant women really appreciate that. You know, they don't want to be treated like their china they want to feel empowered they want to feel strong they want to keep their bodies moving they don't want to just sit there and just breathe you know they want to move their bodies and I think that's really helped yeah I had a very similar experience myself with um well I was constantly told in classes that I wasn't allowed to do things during my pregnancy knowing full well what I could do and what I couldn't do having worked in with my body for so long and as Mm. you say I found it really disempowering Um, Mm. and I was always so happy when I walked into a class and a teacher would be like, okay, you can do everything pretty much, you know, just be mindful and I'm here for you, but you're fine. You've got to be strong for the birth. You've got to be strong to have a baby. So off you go. And those are my favorite classes. Yeah. And if you think like, if you think of actually uh, the stuff that a lot of pregnant women are doing just at home during the day, like doing laundry, you know, one of the things I I remember once being told was that try and avoid any movements where you're flexing over and rotating. And obviously yet we know in Pilates, you know, the time where someone who already has a compromised, uh, has a compromised back that things like leaning over and rotating are probably when they're most likely to cause slip discs and things. But when you're pregnant, like how many times do you lean down and pick up the wash basket or like pick up your dog? Or if you have pregnant with your second baby, like you still have a child that you have to pick up and get out the bath. And so Mm -hmm. often, you know, people are doing so many things at home that would be considered in a class, like not things that they shouldn't be doing, but they're going to do them. So it's, it's almost daft to just think, oh, well, let's just like not even go there and just let them do it at home, but not focus on it in class. Like, why don't we rethink that and think, you know what, they're going to do these movements at home. Why don't we make sure that they're as strong and capable and flexible in those positions as possible. So when they do them, they're much safer and they're less likely to injure themselves. Um, so, you know, they're doing far worse at home. Um, and actually, yeah, we, we need to take that into consideration. Yeah, completely. Nutrition is a priority for me. And I know that the more plants I eat, the better I feel. However, with a busy life, I, like you, I'm sure, don't always manage to get my daily quota of greens. So I'm very happy that this season of priorities is sponsored by Foga, a new brand that makes plant shakes, pre-portioned blends, a freeze-dried fruit and veg that you simply shake up with water or milk create a restaurant standard smoothie at home. I'm not really into protein shakes or powders. However, these are genuinely amazing. They're so easy and delicious. Right now, I'm digging the ginger and greens combination, and my daughter is a big fan of berries and cinnamon. They contain zero extra sugars or chemicals, through freeze drying, have all the nutrients locked in, and they're whole plant, meaning they have all the fiber of fresh fruit and veg. It's really the lazy person's dream. If you're looking to easily and affordably prioritize your nourishment, then I'd love to find out if you enjoy FOGA as much as I do. They're offering five pounds off your first box with the code PRIORITIES. Check them out on www.foga.co. 
That's F-O-G-A. Thank you to Foga. I love sleep. Seriously, it's one of my biggest priorities and I'm a different and much improved person when I get my full eight hours. So I'm incredibly excited that this season of priorities is sponsored by Sleep Siren, an independent lifestyle brand fueled by a passion for health, wellness, and great sleep. Sleep Siren brings together science, education, and luxurious products to offer meaningful support to busy people who could sleep a little or a lot better. As the mother of a toddler and having suffered from insomnia on and off my entire life, I know firsthand how helpful Sleep Siren can be at identifying and covering your sleep needs. Whether you're looking to read an expert article on the latest sleep science, treat yourself to some insanely soft silk pajamas, or simply find a luxurious eye mask, Sleep Siren have everything you need to sleep well tonight. If you would like to improve your sleep, I'd love for you to have the same experience as me with Sleep Siren. So they're offering 20% off with the code PRIORITY20. Check them out on www.sleepsiren.com. Thank you to Sleep Siren. Right, speaking of home, your third priority, time in your garden. Oh gosh, yeah. And I'd love more time in the garden. But yeah, gardening for me is um, just absolute heaven. If I if I was given 24 hours uh, childcare right now, which we don't have any family nearby. We've got Stuart's grandma, um, uh, but she, we're not, I don't, I don't think we're yet in a position where we could leave Freya with her on her own. Um, like sometimes she doesn't even hear the doorbell ring. So, um, I'm not hundred percent sure that she'd always hear Freya if she woke up from a nap and things like that. Uh, and also with the coronavirus, it's also not, not an option, but we got no childcare. Uh, but if I had 24 hours, um, with, with childcare, I would spend it all in the garden. I think I just, I love being outside anyway, but I love watching, watching everything change. Like every single day I do a little tour with Freya in the garden. My husband always laughs, but when we get back from the dog walk, I'll take Freya and we'll walk around the garden and we'll look at all the different plants and look at the different stages they're at. And I'll say to her like, Oh, maybe tomorrow the buds will open and, or, Oh no, look, the leaves have fallen off here. And I don't know. I just love that every day it looks a bit different and I love watching everything changing and I love watching things grow from seed and then watching them flower and then watching them die off. And then next year watching them come back and I don't, I don't know what it is about it, but it just gives me a, a lot of joy and it's really active, you know, it's exercise as well. Um, but it's just something that I, when I was younger, my mum loves gardening as well. And I just used to think it seemed so boring and she'd watch Gardener's World and I would just be bored up my skull. Whereas now Gardener's World is like my absolute treat to myself. Stuart will look after Freya. I'll have a cappuccino and I'll watch Gardener's World. And it's just like an hour of pure bliss. Um, so yeah, I don't know what it is about it, but it's just, it's something that makes me really, really happy. And I wish I could do more of it. We moved into a a house, um, when we moved out to Oxford that that we were lucky had a, had a big garden, but it had been left for years and years and years. So I feel like I've spent the last three years just weeding it. Um, but, but yeah, it, it makes me, it makes me really happy and there must be something in it because it's, it's something that's really popular. There are so many people that enjoy it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's what I need in my life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, spending time in nature is one of the best ways to beat anxiety, to beat stress, to beat depression. It's something that, you know, I recommend with clients anytime when I work with someone who's experiencing any of that, if they're not getting out into nature, 
then they need to start doing that immediately because it does make such a huge difference. It does. And we're really lucky because we've got a dog, you know, even if it's raining, you still have to go out for a a dog walk a day and we actually take it in turns because we have to do two a day. Um, but, um, but yeah, it makes such a difference. You know, you might wake up in the morning, especially when you work from home with zero energy and think, oh, it's Monday, go for a dog walk, come back, feel completely different. Um, so I can see how you kind of, sometimes you might have to force yourself to do that. And I guess it's the same with gardening. Sometimes you think, oh, it's raining or oh, I don't really want to go out there. But after half an hour, you feel amazing. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend it to anybody. I'm useless in the garden. I'm good with the indoor plants. But um, oh, I'm the opposite. I kill everything. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I just don't understand. It started in the studio because we, we um, would, I'd buy... I felt like every week I was buying a cactus because apparently you can't really kill a cactus and, and they were just forever dying and succulents. And so I passed that, passed that job on to my head trainer, uh, Charlotte instead. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I can't seem to, to deal with the ones indoors, but the ones outside I can just about keep alive. <laughs> succulents are a hard one. I think we're often like lured into a full sense of okayness with succulents. Yeah, they just say oh, security, just but they're not or... just leave yeah. them. But they, yeah. And someone did tell me they're actually really quite hard to keep alive. Um, oh, that makes me feel better. Yeah, me too. As well, I stopped, <laughs> I stopped buying them. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with them now. <laughs> so, Holly, what's an area that's not important to you? Something that's just not a priority whatsoever. Um, I would say, um, like weight loss, as we talked about, and aesthetics. So. Obviously, um, obviously I want to feel comfortable in my skin and I want to feel attracted. I want to feel attractive for my husband and, you know, and take care of myself and things. But, um, on the flip side, I also, I just, I really hate the fact that as an, as a, I don't know what I'd say as a nation, um, as a generation, that we're so obsessed with aesthetics and how we look and what we weigh and what dress size we are. And, you know, it's one of the first things people will say to someone like, Oh, wow, if you lost weight, you look amazing. Um, or equally, you know, like with the recent issues with Adele, you know, like everyone slated her when she was in a bigger body and now she's lost weight and everyone's slating her. And I just, I really, I just find it a really sad state of affairs that we're so quick to comment on someone's appearance when actually surely what matters more is whether they're nice or not. Like I don't, I don't meet somebody and afterwards think about what they look like. I think about what they, how they made me feel, um, whether I would actually want to spend time with them um, did I enjoy spending time with them? And so I think that for me, aesthetics need to go in the bin. Um, (laughs) and you know, it's nice to, you know, I, I like putting nice skincare on because of how it makes my skin feel. Um, I like buying nice clothes every now and again because of how they make me feel, but I just, I don't really care for, um, aesthetics. I wish that it wasn't such a priority in our lives and there wasn't so much emphasis put on the way somebody looks and instead we thought more about how people behave or um how they make us feel so yeah that's something that's not not a big one for me um mm. I don't care what you look like I care if you're nice basically <laughs> it's the most important thing being nice kindness there's nothing that beats it I think also what's really interesting obviously as a as a generation as a culture 
we we um fetishize thinness and everyone has to be thin mm-hmm. and as you say when we say to someone who's lost weight we'd always congratulate them and I read something the other day that just talked about how often when people lose weight, they've lost it for really sad reasons. Like they've gone through a breakup or they're depressed or something big has happened. Or as you said before, when you were talking about some of the women at university, which is, you know, so common. And I've definitely been there myself when I was younger of, of exercising a lot just to lose weight. And that's a really sad place to be. Any of those places are really hard places to be internally. And yet still we congratulate someone no matter what. Yeah, I would 100% agree. And, you know, over the years, I have probably trained, I'd say, over a thousand women. And um, I can honestly tell you that, well, first of all, thinness does not always equal fitness. Um, so I think one of the, the issues with the fitness industry is a lot of the images that are used to show someone who's fit tend to be also people who are very slim. And I've had clients who are in bigger bodies who are some of the fittest, strongest people I know. So I wouldn't say that you, I'd say you, you can't always presume that because someone's slim, they're also very fit and vice versa. If someone's in a bigger body that they're lazy, which is sadly the, the stereotype that they are, are dealt, which is mm. very unfair. And even but also more like healthy or mm. unhealthy as well. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're always labeled with that. And people, you know, pe- the reason people slate people in bigger bodies is often they say, Oh, I'm just caring about your health. Or actually, you know, your size is not determined by how your health is not determined always by the size of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first thing, but yeah, also again, like the people who are the slimmest are not always the happiest. And, um, I think often people get confused as well. So Sometimes clients will come to me and I'll ask, you know, what do you want out of your sessions? Why are you here? And they'll say, you know, I want to lose weight. And we'll always say, okay, do you have any other goals? You know, we can't guarantee that you're going to lose weight. Like at the end of the day, we'll try and get you strong and fit. And that might, you know, you might lose weight. You might feel different in your clothes, but that's not really what we're pushing here. Then actually when you scratch below the surface, often there is something else going on. So maybe it's that you know, work is really busy for them at the moment and they are really, really stressed and they can't control work, but something they can control is, or think they can control is their weight. Or maybe it's that they recently had a baby and they just have lost their identity. And so actually it's not about the weight loss. It's just that they're unhappy in some other part of their life. And then also when I look back over my own life, the times where I was the slimmest and where I probably did get the most comments like, oh, you know, you look so slim, work when I was really unhappy. So my slimmest was when I was working as a pastry chef and I was working incredibly long hours and I had really bad depression and I was still having to work even though I had a kidney infection and I had no money. And that was a really, really like dark time. And so I think that's what we need to remember that actually we we shouldn't put thinness on a pedestal because it doesn't always mean a positive uh, experience. And so how can we guarantee that being thinner is going to make us happier? And, and, and I've seen people lose weight time and time again. And if that's not really what's going on in your life, is it actually going to change anything? If you still are unhappy at work, if you're still unhappy in your marriage, if you still, you know, um, still have other stuff going on, being thinner is not going to change that for you. So you need to work out what is it that you actually want? Is it that you want to be thinner or is it that you want to be happier? And I can't guarantee that being thinner is going to make you happier. Mm, Absolutely. What would you like to prioritize more? 
I think work for me, working on my confidence uh, would probably be something that I would like to work on in so much that um, I don't know if it's maybe my personality or if it's just the industry that I'm in or the fact that I have my own business, but it's really easy to uh, doubt yourself in, in this in this industry and put yourself out there. Um, and so I guess it's, it's, at times I've had slight imposter syndrome wondering, you know, if let's say someone calls you an expert, um, you're then thinking, Oh gosh, but am I an expert? Because there's someone who knows more than me about this or, you know, what if someone disagrees with my opinion? And, um, I think in this industry, you don't, you don't just have to be good at at teaching your chosen sub- subject like Pilates or yoga or what have you, I feel like in the fitness industry, you also have to be really good at social media or at least try to be. You have to be able to write blogs. You have to be able to work with brands. You have to be you know, able to do PR and you have to wear so many different hats. And I think at times that's kind of held me back um, either because I'm not as young as some of the other people in the fitness industry or um, maybe not as sort of shredded as them. Do you know what I mean? I think it's easy to hold back just because it's easier. And the live classes were really quite scary for me because it meant putting myself out there to people all over the world. Um, and I get a lot of Pilates teachers join my class as well. And, um, and that adds like another element of pressure. Uh, but actually it's shown me that putting yourself out there can be a really positive experience because actually it's meant that people who never got to train with me have been able to now. And there's been some lovely, lovely feedback. And so I think it kind of gave me the boost that I needed and had the coronavirus not hit, I don't think I would have ever done this, um, you know, because it puts you out there to, to absolutely anybody, but it's been a really positive experience. So I think I just need to work slightly on confidence and backing myself. Um, and yeah, not being afraid of having an opinion and, um, or worrying what's that someone might judge me. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if I've, um, described that very well, but I think that's something I need to work on a little bit, getting rid of imposter syndrome. Yeah, I can understand that. I'm also, you know, surprised by that because to me, you are an expert and you've been doing this for a very long time and you're incredibly successful. And it just goes to show that everyone, no matter where they're at, can have these feelings, can experience this. Yeah, I think I think it's like, can you ever call yourself an expert? Because to me, it's like I could always do another course. I could always do another workshop. And I don't think there's ever really an end. And um, there's always going to be someone who knows more than you. Um, Joseph Pilates, for example, <laughs> um, he was an expert. He created it. So I think it's the... It, I, it, it can sometimes feel a bit awkward if you're, if you are called an expert, cause you, you could always think of someone who maybe knows more than you. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't change anything, you know, just because there might be someone who has done it for longer than you or knows more than you or has done more courses than you, you know, it doesn't mean that you don't know your stuff. So I guess I would be talking to anyone else out there. We've had so many messages actually from instructors, not just Pilates teachers, um, but instructors who obviously with the coronavirus, you know, their business has dried up overnight. And so they're in that position. Um, and also uh, without generalizing, there's been a lot of, um, Pilates instructors who've got in touch, who have big studios, um, who are, you know, maybe, um, 
a little bit older than me. So have only ever worked with having physical studios and all of a sudden they're now having to navigate like this online world that maybe it hasn't been a big part of their lives. And that's really, really scary for them. So, you know, talking them through Zoom, you know, a lot of them hadn't heard of Zoom, maybe their social media, you know, they've never put much effort into social media, but now it's a huge part for them. So, you know, I know that I know that it is quite scary for people to put themselves out there. That's been quite interesting. It doesn't matter who you are, how big your business is, you know, there are always going to be things out there that challenge you and and new spaces to move into that are quite scary. But if there was ever a time to do it, it's now. Um, and it's amazing what you'll do when you have a mortgage to pay or you have a child to feed. Um, so sometimes being pushed to get out of your comfort zone can be a really, a really positive thing. Yeah, completely agree with you. So what steps do you reckon you could take yourself to feel more confident to get you out of this imposter syndrome state? <laughs> Oh gosh. I don't, to be honest, I don't know. I wish I knew. I mean, my husband's amazing at this because he, he's sometimes like my hype man, um, especially because he can kind of see it from like an outsider's point of view, I guess. And so sometimes he'll push me and he'll be like, I know you don't want to do it, but so for example, when I was pregnant, um, with Freya, he said to me, look, I think that you're getting loads of messages from other pregnant women asking you like, oh, you know, how are you feeling? Or, um, are you still exercising? Are you still running? Things like that. And he was like, why don't you every day just go and do a couple of stories about how you're feeling on that given day? Um, like symptoms wise or what you're up to. And I was like, oh, do people really care? Like, I just, I don't think anyone cares. And I just felt really narcissistic. And he was, and he, he was like, honestly, like, wouldn't you love to see that from someone else who was at the same stage as you and blah 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 so he pushed me to do it and actually it was a really fun thing to do and we used to get so many messages and from other women at the same stage she'd be like oh I've been feeling that way as well and I was really worried about it or um I, I don't know it was a really lovely experience and it brought me closer to a, a lot of other women and so I think that sometimes you have to listen to other people and you have to yeah he's very good at pushing me out of my comfort zone and just saying just go do it and just shush um mm. but but I don't, I don't really know what else. I feel like after 10 years of doing this, I should be, I should be okay with it. But I think it's partly my personality um, and partly the industry that I work in or that mm. we work in as well. Something I do with clients when this comes up or something I also do with myself is talk about how like it feels a little bit easier if you just don't think about the outcomes and you think more about your mission. And so you're always, always coming back to, have I achieved this with my mission? Is this in line with my mission, with my core values? And if so, then sort of like fuck everything else because I'm there. Mm. I'm exactly where I should be. And it's a slightly less demanding um, sort of mental process than getting involved in like, should I have done this? Or am I allowed to do this? It's just, okay, is this in line with my values? And if it is, then cool, tick, I'm done. I'll let that go. Yeah, that's a really good way of thinking about it. And it takes it off of you. I guess it's like, oh, but what if someone looks at it and thinks X about me and instead thinks, yeah, is this going to help people? Yeah. Um, yeah. Makes it less about me individually and more about our mission. Yeah. I like that. And you can't always please everyone as well. No, I'm you sorry. can't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I just need a thicker skin maybe. You know, I could get, I, I remember once I put up, 
in Pilates, there's lots of different schools of thought. I, I'd imagine it's similar in yoga as well. Um, but even though Joseph Pilates was the person that created Pilates, since then, you know, we've learned a lot more about the body and things have changed. And so Pilates has gone off in lots of different angles. You know, you've got the people that still teach it exactly the same way as Joseph did, which is fine, you know, definitely go for it. And then you've got people like me that are a bit more dynamic and have maybe kind of taken on board some of the things that the physiotherapy world know now and, and tweaked things. Do we always need to be an imprint? Blah, blah, blah. Um, but the problem with that is that there is always going to be someone who has a different opinion to you or teaches it a different way. So I remember, you know, I used to be really nervous about demonstrating exercise, Pilates exercises on social media in case someone from the classical world or who's taught differently to me would be like, oh, we teach that on an exhale or we teach that in imprint and um, my husband always used to say like does it really matter and to be honest when I did start doing it it was very rare but one person once said to me one person contradicted me and I remember it really upset me I, I thought about taking the whole post down and she was like you've had 20 people like saying like agreeing with you and one person going against you like you have to remember that's one in 20 um and I think that's it. I think you just have to develop a thicker skin and realize, yeah, that there is always going to be somebody who has a different opinion, but that's okay. Um, you know, that's, it's not an issue and it's not anything I need to take personally. Yeah. That's the thing. It's nothing to do with you. No, but it is difficult. Finally, have you got anything you're working on right now that you'd like to share? Yeah. So whilst I was pregnant with Freya, um, I was recording uh, pregnancy. So we already have an online plan, which is basically what we do in studio, but online. And then whilst I was pregnant, I had to adapt that obviously because I was pregnant and um, I, I wanted to make sure that other people were able to do it as well because it was low impact cardio, which is as a pregnant person, I didn't want, I wanted to still stay active and fit. And it was pregnancy specific Pilates. So I was trying to get my body ready for a active labor. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I recovered quickly. And so I was, um, yeah, I was doing a version of our Pilates PT method, but for pregnant people and, um, loved it. And so during my pregnancy, I recorded those workouts, um, with like a professional um, team and everything. So, uh, that we're turning into an online plan for pregnant women. So they will be doing videos at the same stage of their pregnancy as I was in that video. So they know that they're safe. Um, you know, I know exact, I knew exactly at the time what it was feeling like as a pregnant person. So we recorded those. And then obviously when the coronavirus hit, that kind of put a pause on that. So we managed to, well, we, we sort of thought, why don't we do these classes live and, and see what people think of them? And they've been our most popular class. They're called the bump plan, um, class. And they, they've been, yeah, the, the most popular uh, class on the whole schedule. And so now we are sort of trying to rush through and we're well, not rush through, but trying to like push it forwards and get the online version set up so that when these women come out of lockdown and they have to go back to work, that they're still able to stream those workouts um, at a time that's convenient to them. And we can get as many pregnant women as active as possible and feeling good and, and having safe training uh, during their pregnancy. So that's what we are working on in the background right now yeah just weird nice. seeing me exercising pregnant now that Freya's here as well it's lovely oh I bet it is well it sounds amazing yeah. I would have loved to have had that in my in my pregnancy if I am lucky enough to have another baby I will be the first one to be downloading it oh thank you <laughs> all right Holly thank you so much for your time it was wonderful talking to you 
You're welcome. Yeah, it was lovely to be on this side as well. Because before I had Freya, I had a podcast and uh, and I loved interviewing people, but it's actually quite nice being on this side as well. So yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Good to hear. All right. Take care, Holly. Thanks so much, Lily. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Priorities, I'd really appreciate it if you could make it your priority today to hit subscribe and also rate and review as this helps other people find it. Need a little incentive? Every month, I offer one free 60-minute online coaching session to a listener. All you have to do is hit subscribe, rate, review the podcast, and then email a screenshot of your review to prioritiespodcast at gmail.com. You'll then be added into the ballot for a free one-to-one coaching session with me in which we will help align the priorities of your life. Thank you so much for listening and take care.